We want to take this opportunity to once again thank you, our patrons and listeners, for sticking with us all these years. With nearly 800 episodes and counting, we couldn't have done this without listener feedback, patrons providing support, uh, those of you who reach out and say, hey, we like what you're doing, keep doing it. It makes it fun, keeps us energized, um, helps us gives us the ability and the want to add interviews like what Jason provides. So we would be remiss if we did not continually say thank you for you, the listener, and you, the patron, who've gone out of your way. Uh, went over to patreon.com slash comicsfunprofit and signed up at any level to get involved with our Slack channel, to support us, to get early access, ad-free access, unedited access to us. We really appreciate it, and thank you. Aloha! This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing a friend of the show, writer Elisa Quitney. She's here to promote guilt. Um, it's a trade, it's not in trade in trade paperback from Ahoy Comics magazine. Now, I'm going to read a quote um, from IGN that's on the trade paperback. It is, it is not every comic that can be described as a fusion of the Golden Girls, Sex in the City, and the Twilight Zone. But that sums up guilt in a nutshell. So, Elisa, welcome back to Comics for Fun and Profit. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. And someday, I hope I will actually get to visit you in Hawaii. Oh, so okay, so comic, so comic con, comic convention organizers, you heard this. Please invite <laughs> Elisa down, and also Tom Pyre. <laughs> we have to bring Tom down. You know, absolutely. The, and and if I, I would love that. And if and 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 if Karen Berger gets wind of this too, I'm, I'm sure Karen wouldn't mind to be your assistant at the table, right? <laughs> Um listeners, you guys are in a treat for today. Um uh, before we started recording, um me and Alyssa, we were we were just already having fun. So um this is gonna be a great episode. It, it's gonna be a very good episode. Now um uh, I'm just gonna go over um a little bit of um Alyssa's um Alisa. Uh, Alisa, I'm sorry, uh, Alisa's <laughs> um history and I told Alisa you know um correct me if I'm you know if I mispronounce her name um so so please forgive me on that um now her now her parents are um Ziva Quitney and and correct me if I'm wrong mom used to um be a writer for um women's for women's magazines is that correct in the 70s yes absolutely so my mother was a journalist she wrote for ms magazine and cosmopolitan a lot of uh you know articles about dating and human sexuality Mm -hmm. and uh, psychology yes and then also um your father and um Elisa's um, father is a science. It was a science fiction writer. Um, his name was Robert Sheckley, uh, and I hope I got pronounced his name last name correct. Yes, absolutely. So Robert Sheckley, my dad, uh, was a science fiction writer and known as a, a humorist and an absurdist. He is 
considered an influence on Douglas Adams, although Douglas Adams did did not uh, mm -hmm. did did not cop to this. Mm -hmm. But um, but you know, if you read uh, Sheckley's early stories, I I leave it to you to consider for yourself. <laughs> and then also too, she was also a newspaper reporter in Miami. Correct me if I'm wrong. In the was it in the late eighties, early nineties? Uh, it was the, yes, yes, it was the late 80s. Uh -huh. uh, and they were, I, basically, I, I worked for two different weekly Jewish newspapers, the Jewish Floridian and the Miami Jewish Tribune. And I think at one point I thought, well, either I'm going to get a job at the Miami Herald, or I'm going to go back to New York and uh, go to uh, graduate school, and I'll get my MFA in writing. And uh, the Miami Herald said, lots of luck in New York, kid. Oh, <laughs> And that's the perfect segue because, and correct me if I'm wrong, you um you were an editor for Vertical Comics. Actually, you're literally in the basement when vert before Vertical Comics started, and then turned into Vertical Comics um in the '90s. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I started work at DC Comics. I think it was either '89 or '90. Uh huh. And I uh, I started as Karen Berger's assistant. Mm -hmm. uh, so at that point, it wasn't called Vertigo. It was just called Karen Berger's strange, horror-tinged, mainly British writer <laughs> collection of uh, oddballs and geniuses. And uh, yeah, so, so that was how I started. And I think that Vertigo was really interesting because it was an imprint. It is the imprint that that Sandman came out of, although mm -hmm. Sandman, again, predated the Vertigo branding so there, there there was already this interesting collection of of writers and artists and stories under um karen Berger's uh editorial watch mm -hmm. and so vertigo became a way of of sort of describing this thing that already existed okay and then um also too um no thank you very much um now listeners you know if you get a chance please check out comics for fun and profit episode 733 that was dated on May 11th. In that episode, we talked about guilt number one and um, Elisa's um, origin story in that episode. Now, before we begin the interview, I just want to give a big shout out to Hannah Behedry of Superfan Promotions for setting up this interview. Just Hannah, thank you very much for asking us to do a follow-up interview. Um, um, yeah, just thank you very much. You know, Hannah, thank you very much. And thank you, you know, yeah, just thank you for for all your hard work behind the scenes. Um, Elisa, do, uh, do you want to um, give, give uh, do you want to add anything to that? Oh, yeah. I mean, Hannah Behedry and David Hyde are just the most amazing PR team. There's a joke that goes around in publishing these mm -hmm. days. Uh, there's, there writers have passed this around. There's a letter from supposedly the new head of PR at a major uh, publishing house. And it, it's someone who's just graduated from college and gives the writer a, a long list of things that the writer can do. And mm -hmm. then in, I'm sure you'll be in good hands because I'll be leaving as of next week. Um, and <laughs> so it's been a while since mm -hmm. I've had such an incredibly proactive and great PR team. Uh, they, they've been They've been super, really super. So, and then um, also too, I want to give a big shout out to um, Barbara Dillon. She's a friend of the show. Barbara um, 
you know, wrote an article for the fan base press. The article is a title fan base press interviews with Elisa Quitney on the release of the collected guilt trade paperback with Ahoy comics. Um, that was dated, um, on November 2nd. If you guys get a chance, please check out that article. Now, um, uh, Elisa, um, now where can followers listen, to, uh, where can listeners follow you on social media? That has become a stickier and stickier question. Yes. How do you see days? Um, I, I'm still on Twitter right now, at mm -hmm. Aquitney. Mm -hmm. um, I have to confess that until this whole brouhaha, I hadn't even noticed that some people had a blue check and some didn't. And I really, I, I would, you may be shocked to realize that not many people try to impersonate me. Uh, I'm just so, mm -hmm. I didn't occur to me that anyone would. Mm -hmm. uh, I am on Instagram and mm -hmm. I, I don't. I don't post as often, but I, I may have to start doing it more. I think I'm Kay Witty on yes. Instagram mm -hmm. and uh, and I'm on Facebook. I think I'm Elisa Quitney, Elisa Sheckley. Uh, so those are the, mm -hmm. the main places I am. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I, I also have a website, you know, www.elisaquitney.com. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, just, you know walk your dog in Dutchess County and I'll, you'll probably run into me. <laughs> All right. No, thank you very much. Um, now we're going to just basically jump right in and start talking about guilt. Now, um, I want to read a couple quotes um, because I one is from, a, um, uh, I think this one quote is basically um, inside the trade. And it's quote, we all have our time machines, don't we? Those that take us back our memories and those um and those um that carry us forward our dreams and that's from the great um science fiction um writer um hg wells and and for i'm just going to say for some new listeners he's the author of you know the classic the time machine and i'm also gonna um read a quote from tom um, pyre um and it's more towards in the in the back matter and it's quote, when we face with a choice as to which time travel travel trope to follow, choose the one that you feel is most fun. Now, for listeners who, um, and, you know, Alisa, you know, for listeners, you know, um, for new listeners or new readers, may I ask, can you tell, tell us, um, you know, what is this story about? Um, sure. So, the story is about Hildy Winters, who is a woman in her 70s who lives on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in a wonderful old uh, building called the Bellicent. And the Bellicent is kind of a special building, and Hildy's apartment is rather special, too, because when she goes out her back door, down the, the door that comes out of the kitchen, uh, she travels back uh, roughly 40 years in time, back into her younger self. Now, she has been living in this apartment and attempting to get back and to undo a decision that she made in her 30s. The problem is, first of all, it's not so easy to affect real change in your life in the present or in the past. Uh -huh. And the co-op board of the Bellicent has a lot of uh, rules for time travel. The Guild of Independent Lady Temporalists, uh, G-I-L-T, 
has its rules. You can only be one person, the owner of the apartment going through. You're not allowed to make major renovations or, or changes in the past without board approval. And, uh, and, and there are repercussions if you do. But so Hildy's been trying and trying to go back and, and change this decision. And it's finally down to the wire because you go back in time 40 years, but time does move forward. You can't, mm -hmm. it's not Groundhog Day. You can't relive the same day over and over. Complicating matters, Gildy, uh, we discover, has been having some memory issues. And uh, against her will, she's been assigned a home health care aide named Trista. Now, Trista is. I, I used to say she was the Bill Murray of home healthcare aides. That's become as difficult as Twitter. So I guess I could say she's the, uh, what's her name? Um, oh gosh, I'm I, I, she was from the office. Um, oh, oh. Aubrey Plaza. She's okay. the Aubrey Plaza of <laughs> home healthcare aides. So um, Trista really does not want to do any more work than is strictly necessary to get mm -hmm. her job done. Um, but she ends up, you know, trying to prevent Hildy from going into the past and winds up traveling back in time with her. And all of a sudden, the women are back in 1973. Hildy's in her 30s. And Trista is nine. Mm -hmm. And at this point, they both realized that they were together on this day in 1973. Mm -hmm. And uh, so first of all, there there are weird resonances bringing them together. And second of all, they have broken some major time travel rules and there are repercussions. Okay. Um, and then a um, couple of things I wanted to ask, um, because I, I know we covered it in the previous, um, like who Hildy and Trista um, were. Um, also too, Hildy's friends um, also kind of play a role in, in the story too as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I know we can't, I don't want to give out too much spoilers, but but right, they kind of play a role in the story as well. Absolutely. So part of my inspiration for writing um Kilt was was very pop culture. So I should say that I kind of toggle between writing things that are deeply, painfully, embarrassingly personal, and things which are mm -hmm. deeply, painfully. Uh, you know, embarrassingly pop culture. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I uh, was very aware of is that Golden Girls, the show about, you know, uh, three women and, and one of their mothers mm -hmm. living in Miami in the 80s, um, that, you know, it's this amazing show about female friendship. And then it ends with the main character played by B. Arthur getting married spoiler alert and <laughs> leaving not only her friends but her mother behind okay so mm -hmm. there's the weirdness of that and then you know years later in the 90s you have sex in the city and carrie bradshaw who is the b arthur of her group does the same thing and marries the clearly toxic uh man that she's been you know dating on and off for for mm -hmm. years and i just thought this is clearly a bad decision it's bad for us as an audience because mm -hmm. we don't want sitcoms to end we don't uh -huh. want them to resolve we want them to carry on like mythic i've heard it said that mythic time is a circle and historical time is a line is mm -hmm. linear and so we we want our sitcoms to exist in mythic time mm -hmm. it's also clearly 
a bad decision. You don't leave your friends and your mother, certainly not mm-hmm. when you're in your 50s or 60s, uh, for some dude you just met. Mm-hmm. And you especially don't do it if you've been dating him for years and clearly, you know, he's got commitment problems and uh, he's been bad for you for a decade or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I kept thinking, well, surely these women live to regret their choice. And and so that was a big part of how I started uh, out with, with figuring out the plot to guilt. Oh, okay. Um, now, you, we've already, you know, as you already mentioned about, you know, how the Golden Girls ended, how Sex in the City ended. Um, because my next question is because, um, because, in issue and we cut and I remember covering this in, in our previous interview, but <clears throat> I know in issue one there was a post-it on one of Hildy's either one of her um, folders or something, and it's clearly written, "Do not marry the man." Yes, do not marry Mister Man. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then in issue number two, we finally meet and see who Mister Man is. Yes. Um, actually, let me. I'm going to ask this question. Because Mr. Man, and I'm not going to, again, not no spoilers, but I was kind of going, hmm, he looks a little familiar. Um, who came up with this design? <laughs> so Maurice is my collaborator, my mm-hmm. artist, uh, art name, you know, like like Cher. Um, I, I've always ended up calling him Alain, which is his real first name. So Alain and I have a, a, a an, an unusual partnership, I think, because there are, you know, writer artist pairings, they run the gamut from, you know, blind dates where the people were matched up and they barely talk to each other mm-hmm. to uh, they're actually the same person or they're married. Mm-hmm. And um, But Alan and I are really good friends. We became friends through the creative collaboration. And I, we were paired together. I'll just go back for a moment on yes, um, yeah. You, which was a um, it was a mini series, a prestige mini series for DC Comics featuring Zatanna and a bunch of other characters. Mm-hmm. And then, basically, Alan, the, the first <laughs> Mystic You took a long time to come to fruition, and Alan ended up leaving uh, when it it wasn't it, it didn't look like it was going anywhere, and. Um, so Mystic You happened with the wonderful Mike Norton. And yes. uh, mm-hmm. we had, I mean, that was wonderful working with him. But Alan and I felt very frustrated that we hadn't gotten to work together. And mm-hmm. we began this weird, long process of long distance talking and Zooming and meeting mm-hmm. when we were, uh, you know, in, in New York or in San Diego together. And we just were always, we just enjoyed talking, enjoyed collaborating. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of back and forth. Mm-hmm. So um, I think all the characters and all of the designs, it, it was so collaborative. So mm-hmm. I would say, I was thinking about this. And he would say, well, what about this? And we yes. doodle each other and make faces over Zoom. And, and and we always found something that was felt right to both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, I think the fun of it, was it, it was almost like being improv partners because the fun yes. of it was tossing something back and forth until we had something that we both resonated with. Mm-hmm. That is, and, and um, and correct me if I'm wrong because I know you, you and Alan finally were able to work together on 
on on a, on a short story with um on from from one of the Ahoy comics. Is that correct? Or actually, we did one thing before then. Okay. Uh, Shelley Bond had this great uh, book. Femme, uh, Femme Magnifique, which mm -hmm. featured uh, a lot of women in comics. And so we did um, we, we did a, a story that was about Carrie Fisher. Oh. And, um, mm -hmm. So we did a, a short with that. And then we did Snifter of Terror. Mm -hmm. um, we did, so for those who don't know, I mean, Ahoy's Snifter of Terror anthology features Edgar Allan Poe stories on steroids and you know they're already pretty steroidal so it we uh I picked the story Berenice which uh features some delicious body horror and we just mm -hmm. had so much fun it, it Berenice is a story about teeth and mm -hmm. so you know Alan and I, I would just See, the thing that's so great about Alan is I will ask him to do things that would make another artist tear his hair out or, you know, pull his teeth out. And Alan is just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want teeth everywhere. You want teeth in the bed. <laughs> it was a canopy bed and I wanted mm -hmm. there to be, um, it to resemble teeth. And there are teeth, we just, we wanted to work in teeth everywhere. And I think that, you know, in part, Alan and I um, have similar old loves i used to love plop uh which was a dc magazine that had a lot of sergio aragonis little strange doodles in the sidelines and mm -hmm. um i loved a lot of the old ec and dc horror and so mm -hmm. again i mean i i know because i've worked with other artists who've said you know you you evil bitch you know <laughs> in a kindly way i'm sure yes. but you know so so but alan enjoys the torture it's mm -hmm. it's the perfect it's the perfect pairing of uh sadist and masochist really mm -hmm. so um so listeners um I, now because um if you have not read um guilt yet or picked up the first issue and i and i ran this by alisa before we because i think so there's a there's two panels in there that made me laugh out so loud <laughs> And I We're gonna I, ruin them for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't ruin them for me. It was like, oh yeah. But anyway, I, I... <laughs> wait, let me just let me just say, you know, I don't know who's listening. Maybe you have never opened the wrong medicine cabinet or the wrong drawer. Maybe you've never accidentally said, oh my God, and you know, <laughs> come across something that belonged to your parents and made you have to look at them in a whole different light. But um, if you never have, then this may not make you laugh. This may just make you, you know, vomit a little in your mouth. But uh, hopefully, hopefully there will be both laughter and bile <laughs> and also to I have to add too it's like also too if your parents always keep their bedroom door at, for adult kids if your parents keep their bedroom doors closed just leave it closed <laughs> yeah no, there's I mean I th I think that we all end up discovering you know some some surprising things about our, our parents at some point I um I think that a lot, so I'll talk for a second about humor without ho hopefully ruining the whole, I mean, it is, it is sexual and it is, it is uh, raunchy and th there are gross moments. I love body horror. Uh -huh. I just want to say that if you look at one through line through a lot of my writing, there's usually some body horror, gross out uh -huh. humor. And um, 
I I think that with humor, and I, I think about humor all the time, and I can be, you know, unfortunately, if you talk about food, you can still make things sound appetizing. But if you talk about humor, it's very unfunny. But I'm fascinated by humor, so I'm gonna I'm gonna dissect it. A lot of humor is about timing and the nuances of of intonation or acting. And in a comic, the acting has to do with the subtle expressions and micro expressions and how the artist and the writer pace things. And so the fact that I, that some people are finding me funny in comics has a lot to do with the collaboration because um, it's, I just don't know how anyone who isn't their own artist manages to be funny unless there's this great synergy with the artist. Mm -hmm. Terry Moore is one of my favorite creators, Strangers in Paradise and Rachel Rising and Echo and a million other wonderful things. And I kept thinking, how will I ever convey the kind of humor and drama in my writing Mm -hmm. and in my stories that that Terry Moore does? Uh, Because I, I can't draw, not like that. And so the the partnership with Alan just really made it possible for me to, you know, do what Terry does because yes. he is both writer and artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to add on to that because, um, you know, um, Alan's art, you know, I, not only does he does incredible detail, um, especially with the, um, the, 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 the Bella set building, the apartment building. Oh my God, that's beautiful. But also capturing now, l- listeners. I've never been to New York. I've you know, but you know, I've been to the East Coast. I've seen the fall. But um, well, let me get to the point. Is that it when 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 I see that scene in 1973 of New York, it, it captures the feel of this is New York back in the 70s. You know, um, during the fall, it's great. The other thing I love about Alan too is that he's able to um, convey um, emotions through the facial, some of the facial expressions. Um, there is one scene, and it takes place in, and, and there's a lot, but one key scene I love. I think it was in issue number three, and I'm not spoiling anything, but there is a scene where someone comes up to Hildy and goes, "You know, you need to meet with the co-op." you know, this is your letter, this is your warning. And she's in the airport smoking this cigarette and she's saying something like, what I haven't got through, blah, blah, blah. But just the expression on her face, like, I don't care what you're saying, you know, <laughs> don't, don't bother me. It's, it, it, it's, it's so great, it is. It's, it's so great in part because that is what Alan loves to draw. Mm-hmm. And I had an artist who, um, after Alan left, and before Mike Norton, who, you know, also did an amazing job with Mystic U, but there was another artist that we were considering. And he just said, after taking one look at my script, like, oh my God, what a boring writer. You know, there, there are no, you know, where are the fisticuffs? Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I do have some fisticuffs. I actually do have physical humor. I uh-huh. like physical humor. I like body horror, as I said, but you know, if if a long drawn out fight is what you love to draw, mm-hmm. then I'm not fun. What what I adore are those weird, you know, glances and 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 you know, as I say, those little reactions that go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Alain 
thinks about that stuff as as closely as I do. So B. Arthur was one of the inspirations for Hildy, a little Rosalind Russell, a little <laughs> B. Arthur. And, you know, she, B. Arthur was an amazing reaction uh, actor. So one of the things that, you know, is great to watch with Maud, which was her series before Golden Girls, Golden uh, yes. Girls is watching her reactions to say Betty White's mm -hmm. pronounced characters pronouncements. And so to not just be able to draw well, and I think people talk about, you know, mm -hmm. what it means to draw well, but to be able to catch uh that th those golden moments. So I learned only recently that in animation, uh, there's something called the golden pose. So the golden pose is the pose that they achieve in animation. So let's say the the, the big pose is, I don't know, uh, the, the baboon R Rafiki holding oh. up Simba. Oh, and yeah. so the series of poses that lead up to this big golden pose, whereas in comics, you're kind of going straight to the golden pose and mm -hmm. you want that feeling of motion inside that held pose. Mm -hmm. So uh, Alan is, I'm sorry, I'm going on and on about the That's art. That's fine. No, no, please. It's a visual medium. And, you know, so yes, I've obviously, I I did a lot of work, but, you know, the, the thing that people can't see in this podcast is Alan's contribution, which is so, so important. It very much is, um, and you know, you know, Elisa, don't worry about that because um, the thing about Alan's art artwork is it's you know it's very beautiful, it's well detailed, and I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit because um, you know, um, listeners, if you do pick up the trade, you sometimes you have to look in the background because there's some panel where it. Um, um, you know, there, there, there's little things uh, that contribute to the story to, to you know, that. Oh, yes. So the part of what Alan and I love and part of what I think, you know, comics can be expensive, especially, yes. you know, trades and uh, getting all the floppies. And so, you know, we both worked really hard to make this a comic worth rereading. So yes. hopefully you read it once and you say, oh, OK. And then you look back and you catch a lot of things that you might not have caught the first time mm -hmm. and it's it's part of us i guess really wanting to give you know value for money it it really does um and listeners i probably repeat this again it's because um you know because i want to reread this story again because uh and let me take a step back sorry because i think i think it was an issue too i can't i'm not going to sell what panel but but um but Hildy and Trisha, uh, Trista, um, not only did they cross paths in 1973, but if I remember correctly, I think they also crossed paths in 1980s or the 90s. But it's, I remember reading that second issue and I, I had to go, wait a minute, didn't they? And I have yeah, to go back again. Cool. Okay, so part of my inspiration for doing that um, I was, you know, working on my Sandman podcast mm -hmm. uh, while writing this. And at a certain point, Neil, um, Neil Gaiman and I are still in touch. And we worked together on the Norse book of mythology. Mm -hmm. uh, I, was, I was the doula <laughs> uh, for that book. And um, so Neil said, do you want to look at the scripts again? I, I hadn't kept my Sandman scripts. And so he sent me the original scripts. And it reading the comics again and reading the scripts reminded me 
how much Neil put in mm -hmm. and how many little, you know, hints of stories that, you know, you felt like you could add water and have whole other stories going in whole other directions. Yes. It, it really, I mean, I did it in a very different way, but it was a wonderful reminder about how much you can cram into the phyllo pastry of a comic. Yes, and and I'm going to say, please don't take this wrong, but you and Alan did a, it balanced out. It's a nice balance. Because sometimes, uh, it, you know, because you don't want to cram too much in a panel and then it, it, things can get lost, you know. But yeah, you want it nice, to be clear. You yes. want it to feel relaxing to look at and not make your eyeballs vibrate. Yes. Um, let's see, I... Um, I'm just trying to, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to, um... I've bounced around a little. I've probably, uh... No, no, <laughs> no, but this is, no, but this is great, because this is great, um, you know, and, you know, just thank you, you know, just thank you very much for doing this. Um, let's see. Uh, I know one of the things, if I'm recollecting, that you wanted to talk about was some of the other odd pop culture influences. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I, because I, as I say, I'm always influenced both by the deeply embarrassingly personal and the deeply embarrassingly pop culture. So a lot of people remember the spoof movie Airplane. <laughs> and what people these days may not remember as clearly is Airplane came after a whole bunch of disaster movies yes. uh, featuring air airplanes, airport, airports, I think 1970 yes. and on and on. There, mm -hmm. there was basically almost one a year until yeah. 1979. Yes, because the con airport. um oh 1970 um airport 79 Concord with George Kennedy. The yes. um oh that that that's oh my god, now we're yes listeners just buckle in because this will probably be a long episode, but um oh shoot the um the supersonic plane. I can't, the yes, Concord. There was a super. So, okay. So, first of all, I was a huge fan as a kid of disaster movies. At age seven, mm -hmm. which was inappropriately young, I was taken in to see the Poseidon Adventure. Oh my god! And, okay, so the Poseidon Adventure, which is about a cruise ship that gets turned upside down, uh, is one of my lifelong favorite guiding principles. It's mm -hmm. because to me, while being deliciously camp. Uh -huh. It's also about paradigm shift. Uh -huh. And if you could come to my house, I have not one, but two framed, you know, Poseidon Adventure themed uh, uh, pictures. Nice. But while like either right before or right uh, during reading uh, writing guilt, uh -huh. I began to have this intense urge to rewatch every airport movie. Nice. And I and I began to think, you know, uh there's nothing more 70s than an airplane. And I also, so when um, when Trista and Hildy go through the portal together, mm -hmm. they kind of mess up the space-time continuum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about all of the time travel things I've loved. There used to be a, a British TV show not that long ago. I mean, not 70s long ago, oh. but it was called Primeval. And there's these yes. space-time continuum and there's dinosaurs rushing mm -hmm. through. And I thought, well, I don't want, I don't want dinosaurs. That's not right for this. But, you know, if there is a, a rip in the space-time continuum, what would get lost? Mm -hmm. And so I began to think about um, 
you know, about an airplane and what would yes. happen with an airplane. Mm -hmm. And um, and at first, oh, there's so many things to say about my airplane subplot. But at first, it was going to be a throwaway. Now, I, I need to say, some writers are plotters. Mm -hmm. They have carefully detailed outlines, mm -hmm. and they've got index cards, they use Scrivener. Some writers are what we call pantsers. They go by the seat of their pants. They discover uh -huh. as they go along. Yes. I am a plot, sir. Mm -hmm. I, I I attempt to plot and then I pants and then I go back. Uh -huh. so there was a lot of plotting with this. And I, uh, I thought that I was just going to have a little throwaway reference to an airplane. And it's yes. one of those places where Tom Pyre really uh, came in and he said something along the lines of I was very interested in that airplane <laughs> and, uh, you know uh you're just gonna just gonna drop that mm -hmm. and that subplot became much more integral and interesting and it it I guess it delighted the child in me and one of the things as an editor I I often say to writers is if you are writing for a reader even if uh -huh. that reader is just the you that would be reading this if you hadn't written it uh -huh. you usually it, it it is more fun because you're you're writing oh I don't know I I think as a writer if you're writing something because you want to write it and express yourself mm -hmm. it is much less successful than if you're writing what you would want to read it it's just it, it's a it's a it's a better way to go I think mm -hmm. anyway so that that uh I'm babbling now I'll try no. to stop <laughs> no no it's all right I I'm gonna go a little off the cuff because um for younger listeners, um, if you have never seen, um, because I, you know, if you've never seen the airport series, oh my God, because I mean, these are like disaster movies are so big in the seventies. I mean, we're talking like with, you know, with major movie stars. I mean, we're going with earthquake, towering inferno, but the airport series, you know, I love it. Airport 75, Charlton Heston. That's all I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> but, oh, and Charlton Heston and, and Burt Lancaster kind of make little cameos or characters that, that look a bit like them. Yes. But I have to say that I don't know how it will seem to, I mean, my own kids um, who are 24 and 27, they grew up watching 70s disaster films because uh -huh. I felt it was a, 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 a very important part of their education. But I think for a lot of kids, it might, it, we didn't have the special effects you yes. know it's not like it's it's not like titanic let alone yeah. you know like all the cgi mm -hmm. and so what you have is a lot more character emoting it, it would mm -hmm. you know it's it's um you would have some ancient creaky star you mm -hmm. know crying and sweaty and and they're also steeped in um kinds of casual sexism and you know some, oh, yes. some uh well every kind of ism that we uh -huh. don't like so much and so you have to both sort of forgive them and view them as an artifact of their time yes and that said i still find the disaster movies of the 70s more interesting because they take the time to make you care about the characters mm -hmm. um whereas the the later disaster films seem to be much more glorying in special effects for special effects sake mm -hmm. I have to say, I still think, I, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off the cuff, but I, I still love Airport 77. When the plane goes in the water, I mean, that was an all-star, I mean, is major that, all-star. That, that's the Karen Black one, right? No, Karen Black was 
the airport 75. That was okay. the one where um, the stewardess, you know, the, um, what was it? The, uh, the small plane, the, the pilot suffers a heart attack. Um, literally. And they have to get the helicopter. Yeah. Yes. I was very influenced yeah. by and airport. Karen Black is the stewardess that. trying to fly the, yeah. Karen Black was a, a very under, uh, I don't think people remember her anymore. She, yes. she was a great dramatic actress and um, and 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 an imperfect beauty, which we don't see as much anymore. So That's I, I true, yes. She looked um, ever so slightly cross-eyed, which yeah. is just a wonderful thing. Oh, you know, yes. I, I love, everyone seems more conventionally pretty in the movies these days. No, but that's true. Um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going, now I'm babbling, but see, now I'm going down a rabbit hole. But did you remember watching the um, the TV movie with her in it? um tales of terror yes oh my oh. god wait the, the voodoo the yes little, oh my the, god yes. yes oh god that was that was incredible also i mean what i'm referencing in part with all of these are the mad magazine satires because uh back in the day you would have was it more drucker who was drawing the the satires i, I want to say yes mm -hmm. We'll have to check in the notes, but I, I think it was, and you know, so you would get these gloriously irreverent satires of, um, including some very adult movies in Mad magazines. Yes. But I think that so, I guess what Alan and I were thinking of and referencing was in part the movies themselves, and in part the Mad magazine delicious uh, uh, renderings of them. And and I just want to say that at the same time as all of this stuff is going on, I tried not to lose the sense that these are characters that I care about. Yes. And these are, um, you know, the situation at the heart of it isn't funny. It's hopefully the treatment of it is funny, mm -hmm. but yes. at core, you know, so the other influence that I had on this, I just will say is a, a show that's much more modern, Fleabag, because I thought, God, you can be so funny mm -hmm. and so real. Yeah, and Fleabag and Russian Doll and more modern shows are showing how you can toggle back between nostalgia and raunchiness and stuff that's emotional and more and more resonant. So those were I'm not saying I succeeded, but those were all of the uh, strange ingredients in my stew. Okay. No, but thank you very much. Um, um, actually, I'm going to start. I'm going to. Um, yeah, I'm gonna start moving along. Sorry, um, um, and I'm sorry. I don't know how to phrase. I didn't know how to phrase this question. I'm just gonna just ask it out. Is that blurt it? Blurt it. <laughs> um. So, how did you get that quote from? Well, we know that you know you you keep in contact with Neil. So, how did you get a quote from him? I mean, I'm sure you just emailed him. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that is actually an older quote that was, it was what's called a traveling quote, because at one point Neil said, I'm going to give you a quote that you can absolutely use. He has been um, a very good friend in that way. Yeah. He actually read guilt. And he, I mean, he's, he said to me, personally, that in a lot of ways, I think it's, it's of the things I've written, it's his favorite. And he felt it was, um, he said that he thought that of all the things I've written, it felt the most personal and the most me. Mm -hmm. And um, and it, it really meant a lot. 
he, he also did say he felt like I packed a uh, 12 issues worth of content into about <laughs> issues. Um, no, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I still do have, you know, a really close relationship with Neil in that, you know, I, um, I'm still in, in contact. I do want to say that at one point, I remember that I, Neil had written a, another quote and I, I remember there was some website that said, oh God, how did this writer get a quote from Neil? And I, I guess, you know, I hope it was sour grapes, but I was mm -hmm. thinking, ooh, backlash. Yeah. Um, so it it's, um, but I mean, I think that, how can I say this? I, I think that when it comes to the grand scheme of blurbing, you know, people wonder how it works. And mm -hmm. I think it works that, you know, on the one hand, you know, there, there sometimes is a personal connection, but I think that by and large, people don't, you know, don't want to give a blurb to something that they, they don't, don't feel, you yes. know, works for them at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, uh, but, you know, Neil is also a voracious reader. And there have been many times when I've read someone who is not as known to me, I'm trying to remember um, Tender Morsels was a book I love. And now I'm trying to remember the name of the author. Um, beautiful book, Tender Morsels, a sort of Snow White, uh, um, Rose Red. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a different Snow White, not the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but Snow White, Rose Red rendering. Beautiful book. And uh, and I discovered it and I thought I was being so original. And then I thought, oh, wait, wait, oh, there's a quote from Neil on it. And so a lot of times when I found someone who may not be as well known, I, I have discovered that Neil discovered them before me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who and then we, um, I'm going to look this up while we're talking. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, that's no problem. And then, of course, you know, um, as I mentioned that you worked at Vertigo Books, you worked with Karen Berger. And then, so, um, and then... Um, and then the Ford by Karen Berger, how did that happen? Um, so again, you know, I worked, wait, I'm looking, oh, it's Margot Lanigan who wrote uh -huh. Tender Morsels, a wonderful book. Uh, mm -hmm. Just wanted to give that no, a shout out. That, that's fine. Uh, so, you know, Karen, I was, I started out as Karen's assistant editor mm -hmm. um, and I worked on the Sandman. And in those days, uh, so I was, uh, I guess in my, my uh, mid to late 20s and Neil's just a few years older than I am and uh, he was working in England and mm -hmm. so the end of my work day would correspond with his late late night mm -hmm. uh, England's five or six hours ahead of us and he was at that time in his life a very late night writer and mm -hmm. so what would happen is uh, as everyone left the office and the, the lower ranking you are, the later you end up working, if you know uh -huh. what I mean. So I had, you know, things to balloon and, and whatever. And Neil was up writing or had finished his writing. So it'd be maybe six o'clock my time and uh -huh. midnight his, and we would get on the phone, we'd do some work and then we would just end up talking because, you know, he'd finished his work. I'd pretty much finished mine before kids and other responsibilities. Oh, yes. And, um, and so these, both of those relationships with Karen and with Neil morphed from work relationships to work friendships and then continued even after I was no longer working. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, you know, uh, that's sort of how it, 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 it happened. And I think, uh, 
not to, I mean, again, I, I, I hope it's not just, you know, my, my delicious cooking or whatever it is that, uh, that has inspired these, but you know, they're, they're human relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I got really excited by. So uh, recently, just a week or so ago, I got to meet George R. R. Martin for the first time. And I, I have to say, so, okay. So in symphony space in New York city, uh, I saw that Neil was um, interviewing George R. R. Martin and I, I said, okay, I've got, I'm just going to buy tickets and, mm-hmm. you know, yes. go, I'll yeah. sit up close. And I, I took my son mm-hmm. and uh, I said, maybe we can get backstage afterwards. Yeah. George R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, cause I mean, obviously my, my family is very impressed by, by Neil Gaiman, but mm-hmm. him. Um, Matthew even has, I think, like a silver teething ring that, that Neil sent when he was born. So anyway, oh, we, we get to go backstage and, you know, Neil says, hello. And I said, I want to meet George R. R. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how long I had. And uh, and and uh, we go over and we're introduced and, um, and Neil describes how he knows me. And he starts to tell the story of, you know, how I'm Robert Checkley's daughter and how Neil discovered that I was Robert Sheckley's daughter because both Neil and George R. R. Martin would know of my father. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I, I can't say this for sure, but I felt that something in George R. R. Martin's eyes shifted and he had what I felt, and I might've been projecting, was the unmistakable look of a man who has waited many, many hours for dinner and that nothing, including the news that a meteor was heading for earth mm-hmm. would be more interesting then please God, just having a bite to eat and maybe a drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but I did get to meet George R. Oh, that's so cool. That My hand so cool. has touched his. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that is so cool. Um, Alisa, I'm, I'm going to, because I, I've got, I got to slowly start wrapping things up because I, I don't want to keep you too long. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, and this is this is the part where I'm going to ask two funny questions, and I'll I'll start. Oh, actually, wait. Before I go to those questions, uh, before we start wrapping up guilt, and before we start jumping to your pod, the podcast. So, and I'm going to say, please feel free to give shout outs. I know you already gave a shout out to Alon. Um, who else helped you um, on this series? Oh my gosh. Okay, so um, Rob Steen, right? Is the yes? I'm saying that right. He was such an amazing letterer. Mm-hmm. He, anytime that there was a little mistake, I realized it was mine. Oh, he was just amazing. Alan also did the colors. Um, and that was uh, just fabulous. Um, we have a variant cover by Jill Thompson that is absolutely yes. beautiful. Um, and yeah so and and as i said tom pyre uh was the editor and just a brilliant editor mm-hmm. uh we we he was such a brilliant editor that uh, if you look closely you might see a little ode to him in the comic now perfect segue because i am joking whose idea was it to have dragonfly man and dragonfly to make a very unique cameo <laughs> that that was a land okay all right <laughs> The fact that a land makes a cameo was my idea. Oh, okay. So now I, well, not only, it, it, <laughs> and I'll, I think I'll get to my comments after, 
Now, let me, now I'm just joking. Now, the Tom, he, well, Tom makes a, as you mentioned, he makes a very unique cameo in the series. Um, now, did Tom, quote unquote, give you a note in your script to make sure that he's in your story? <laughs> no. no, that was actually a little, um, I think I'm trying to remember. I think we, you know, as I say, there was a lot of decor in yes. in the series. And it, it, the at some point we were in the basement of the Bellicent, which was yes. modeled very much on the basement of the building where I grew up, uh, where there's over the years, all the artwork that people have discarded in their apartments mm -hmm. now lines the halls, but you also have, you know, the old fallout shelter. Yes. And so I think there was a throwaway painting and I I think I said to Alan you know you don't have enough work to do instead of a throwaway painting why don't we stick Tom Fire in there um cross-dressed and yeah so we uh so Alan uh as I said things that would make another artist tear out teeth and, and hair and eyes just makes Alan go yeah cool <laughs> idea more work for me excellent but I have to say that was a very unique cameo and it was it was great. You no, know, it it was really great. It was like, oh, that, that's a pretty cool way. That's a pretty cool way. Okay. Now before I get to the um endless um start asking a little bit questions about the the endless assignment podcast, I just want to say I really enjoyed guilt. To me, this ranks up there with the best Twilight Zone episode. It does. It really does. This story has heart and soul. It has a lot of depth. And it's and like you said, it's it's a story that you want to it, it makes you want to reread it again just to see the little nuances. And that's how, like, to me, you know, certain movies or certain shows, because it, it's the one, it's not only the nuances, but it's the, the characters, the characters are real. There's someone I can identify. Um, we've already talked about it before. There's some laugh out moments. I mean, you know, and it's great. But but even with those laugh out moments, there's a little bit of a pain underneath there, and, and it, it, that and it, that's what I connected with with some of the with some of the characters. Um, the art is perfect, and then like I said, Alan brings a lot of detail, and he conveys subtle emotions, and it, it's just it's. It's, I love it. And um, Alisa, I I want to say this to you, you know, after I read the, read the series, you know, you know, uh, and even like you said, how Neil said this, this is a you know personal story to you. To me, this is your love letter to your parents. So listeners, when I did um, Alisa's background and so forth, you know, like, you know, like Alisa said, Hildy is loosely based on her mother, Ziva. Um, her father, you know, um, who, you know, who, science fiction writer, he, you know, he pitched stories to Rod Serling of the Twilight Zone, you know, and actually, you know, um, you know, the main character in this one Twilight Zone episode called The Arrival, and that episode dealt with a missing plane, that main character's name is Grant Sheckley, you know, which freaked me out as a kid. I was watching the Twilight Zone yes. and suddenly saw that late at night. Absolutely freaked me out. Um, and I, I just want to tell you, there is no higher praise for me. I am a huge fan of the original Twilight Zone series. Although 
I want to say something. I don't mean to be libelous, but this is what my mother said to me. She mm -hmm. said that back in the day, Rod Serling was known by the science fiction community to not always be such a safe source for submitting stories. Because mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the stories weren't accepted, but appeared anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> leave it at that. Again, I'm so sorry. I don't no. do me. I don't know if it's true or not, but it is what my mom used to say. No, yes, and uh, well, I'm I'm just gonna say this, and like I said, my thing is I have no found evidence or anything, but I remember sort of rumors with um. Gene Roddenberry in Star Trek, because mm -hmm. I mean, you know, because of the, know that. Well, because think about it with because remember Harlan Else that feud between Harlan Ellison and Gene Roddenberry. Yes, that's yes. why now, I'm kind Harlan, of. And I should say that Harlan Ellison um, was, you know, someone. So Harlan Ellison once wrote an introduction to one of my father's books, in which he basically just goes through what a schmuck my father was for not staying with my mother. Oh. <laughs> uh, he obviously had a little crush on my mother. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yes. So and I, I would like to say that in a very different way, I'm mm -hmm. working on a new um, project now for Ahoy and all I can say is my love of science fiction some of you know um uh, my love of science fiction and horror and Twilight Zone it, all of that will will definitely uh factor in okay and I cannot wait to read that oh thank you oh yes okay so I'm sorry I don't mean to continue because I don't want to keep you too long um so the uh so the Endless Sandman podcast, and then for, I'm just going to give a brief um, thing for the listeners. So the first episode was aired on June 29th of 2021. There's about roughly about 44 episodes, and it's hosted by you and um, New York Times bestselling novelist, Lonnie Diane Rich. That's right. Now for, oh, I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yes. So, okay, I, I'm just gonna I, I'm just gonna ask the question. Sounds dumb, but you know, for new listeners, you know, what is your podcast about? So um, I had this idea. Lonnie does wonderful uh, podcasts about pop culture. She's done one about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and The West Wing and other great shows. And she's not only a writer but also a great story analyst and and writing coach. Mm -hmm. um, She's um, she's got a great writing book out. But so I approached her and I said, you know, I would love to do a podcast about the Sandman. First start by rereading the comics. Mm -hmm. I would be, you know, drawing on my memories, mm -hmm. uh, working on the comics. And you would be a first time reader. And then, you know, we could go on to the Netflix series when it starts. Yes. And so exactly what we did. And uh, we're at, we've been on a short hiatus. We are going to start up again. Um, but yeah, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So we approach, I guess me as someone who knows some of how the sausage was made, mm -hmm. Lonnie coming fresh to the, to the table, mm -hmm. but also having a, a, an expertise in story. And so we talk a lot, you know, about the comic and how comics work and also what kinds of adaptations, uh, were made and changes were made from comic to the TV series. 
Oh, that's so pretty cool. That is cool. All right. Final question. Any closing words to our listeners? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess I would just say that I have been so very lucky to get this chance to write for Ahoy. Um, it's a small company, mm -hmm. and I think they are doing the kind of creator-owned projects and supportive creative teams that Vertigo used to do. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'd love it if you bought Guilt, because uh -huh. obviously that's my book. But really, there are so many amazing creators uh, working for Ahoy. There's mm -hmm. Uh, Tom Pyre is a writer and Stuart Moore are their writers as well as um, as as editors and, and people who work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, there's work by Gail Simone, Mark Russell, who's just, mm -hmm. you know, an amazing writer. Yes. So I would say, you know, work, you know, supporting small publishing houses helps them to keep going mm -hmm. and um, and put out more great work. So mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, either you know, guilt or if something else is more your cup of tea, give it a try. Ahoy is a great publishing house. Alisa, mahalo. Thank you in Hawaiian. Thank you for giving me another opportunity to interview. I wish you all the success with the guilt trade paperback. Um, I also want to give a big thank you to Hannah of Superfan Promotions for help setting up this interview. Hannah, thank you very much. If you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader, please check out Guilt. It's from Ahoy Comics Magazine. Um, to me, you know, uh, Alyssa knows that this is this is this is my pick for the best series of this year. It is because there's a lot of layers to this story. Um, to me, it's a great story about real characters going through real things, about regrets, second chances, and hope. You know, um, it's out in trade right now. I'm not being sarcastic. You know, please think about, you know, giving this, you know, buying this as a Christmas present or a birthday present, you know, to give to your comic book friends. And if you've never read an Ahoy Comics um, magazine, please check out this trade. You know, let this be the first trade you pick up. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so if you guys get a chance, give Ahoy Comics, you know, a chance. It's, you know, I love the stories that they produce. Um, again, guilt is great. It's it to me the writing is really good and the art by um, you know by Alan is very good. I also want to thank Drew, the Coast of Comics for Fun and Profit. Drew, thank you very much for putting all your hard um, all your hard work behind the scenes, putting this episode together. If you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Time for a break from our show to pay the bills. Check out beacons.ai slash comics fun profit for all the C4 FAP links you could ever need all in one place. You can provide feedback, listen, support, share, enjoy these. We have our Patreon there. You can buy us a beer or a coffee. You can check out our Instagrams, our Twitters, our Facebooks. Check out our YouTube page. You can email us. You can listen to our podcasts on Patreon, if you're a subscriber, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on Podbean. We have Google Podcasts on there. We have an Amazon wish list. You want to buy Kyle and I something? Fine. 
you can do that here. We appreciate it. We have Kyle's RPG podcast listed on there, so you can check out his Dork Day Afternoon offerings. We have Cowabunga links, so you can check out the Cowabunga Deep Discount FOC and Pre-Order list. Get on that. That's our LCS, so you can check that out as well. And we want to just give you opportunities to say hi, to check out what we're doing, support us if you would like, or just listen. Check out beacons.ai slash comics fun profit for all the c4 fap links you could ever need thanks back to the show